Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. Keeping dogs properly and responsibly. That's what we're trying to do. We can't do it anymore. I was so angry listening to him. A hundred euro is all we get, basically, for our baby. Between the jazz and Christmas, you know, you could slip in a bank holiday in, you know, late November, early December. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the opinion line with PJ. Morning all, Monday. Has it dawned without disaster? We didn't have that bad traffic this morning. It looked bad over the weekend that was hoping they'd get that job done down in Dunkettle, get it done on time. They seem to have gotten it done on time, so things went back to relative normal this morning early. So that seems to be to be okay. I, I didn't go out at all at the weekend in that general direction for fear I'd get caught up in it. It seems to have been uh, seems to have been hairy enough for people who were stuck. Good morning, 0818969696. The number, the text to WhatsApp is 0833969696. And the email, opinion at 96mm.ie for whatever is on your mind. Is there something you think we should be talking about? Pick up that phone right now and we'll talk about it if it's what you want to talk about. Other than that, we shall pursue what is in front of us uh, and all the breaking stories of the day. Of course, the maddest craziest story. I couldn't believe it. I thought it was a misprint. I couldn't believe it. I thought it was a wind-up. This story that broke, that a, an investigator with the Garda Shikona Ombudsman, G, GSOC, an investigator with GSOC, that body of people set up to police the Garda and to keep an eye on the Garda and make sure they're doing their jobs properly. Um, a member of that commission... I get this right now because I I was trying to no, I didn't read that right. Was at a party with Jerry Hutch the night that Jerry Hutch was found not guilty of murder at the special criminal court. And I'm thinking to myself, no, I'm not reading that right. I'm not no the be reading glasses or something. I'm not reading that right. Michael Doyle of the Irish Sun, I was reading that right. Good morning. 
Good morning, PJ. Yes, you were reading that right. It's a real strange development which has come on the, off the back of Jerry Hutch's acquittal last week at the Special Criminal Court. Seemingly, an investigator, as you said, with Garda Sheikhan Ombudsman Commission, attended certainly a social gathering or some kind of homecoming party that Jerry Hutch was at last Monday evening. This now officer seems to have been... Um, it seems, to be, it seems to have some kind of link to a female relative of, of Hutch who invited him along to this party and he attended. Now, naturally enough, um, this caused great concern. And the, the man went into work, I think, or certainly in the days that followed, said it to mentioned it to colleagues within GSOC and they brought it to the attention of their superiors and of course um, an investigation was launched. Now this officer was told that as part of any internal inquiry we'd have to hand over his phone and he took the decision there and then to resign to, um, instead of subjecting himself to this process. So that's where we are. There's certainly an internal investigation going on within GSOC but uh, there might be an independent one um, sort of somewhere down the line. Now, this was a man was a police officer in another jurisdiction prior to being an investigator with GSOC. How does how is GSOC structured, Michael? I know there are three commissioners uh, mm. in particular that make the decisions, but who does the investigation? Well, there is yeah, there's three, three as you said, there's three commissioners that make decisions headed up by a chairperson, a judge, Judge Rory McCabe is the is the current chairperson. But under underneath that, there is a number. It's made up of a number of investigators. Some are retired members of of um, police forces in other jurisdictions, like this, the, like this person seems to have been, and um, other people are people from the legal profession. And it was established in 2005, which re- it replaced the old Garda Shikana Complaints Commission, because that was that had a, had a own issues in terms of that was Gardy investigated guarding but, but Gardy but since GSOC came in it's been uh, members of the force have said well who watches the watchdog and that seems to be where we are at the moment in this situation because it is um, an internal inquiry members of GSOC investigating themselves so to speak mm. Now GSOC are not guards of um, so <sighs> But the idea that's that why they were set up. They were set. They were set up so it wouldn't be Gardy investigating yeah. Gardy because that had, that had came with its own problems yeah. previously. But now GSOC can't really. That makes common sense, doesn't it, Michael? GSOC can't properly investigate one of its own tenants. Well, this, this, this is it exactly. They are at the moment. They have launched an internal inquiry, internal inquiry to see how this happened. But they're they can't. They'll make a report and it'll be handed to Justice Mister Simon Harris, and he'll then decide if um, it warrants an independent um, inquiry, which could be headed up by a judge or a senior counsel. Um, but certainly, they they want to get to the bottom of how this man um, attended this party. Was it a case of just incredibly poor judgment, or is there something more sinister involved? Now, this man went in and told colleagues and the days that followed if it was anything more sinister I'm fairly sure that's the last thing he would have done mm. it, it does It does. at this point it does seem like incredibly poor judgment but because he's now resigned and he could he could leave the country in the coming days he's under no particular obligation to uh, to cooperate with any inquiry mm-hmm. because he's now no longer a member of GSOC Yeah in the particular part of Dublin you'll know this Michael better than I mm. in the particular part of Dublin from where Jerry Hutch comes He's seen as some kind of a small god in the area. And he would have a lot of people who'd be very friendly with him, would never have had a criminal conviction in their entire lives, but are very friendly with him. He's he's he, he commanded commands massive support uh, massive support in the North Dublin city area. He's highly respected. He's highly thought of. He had huge support about the whole trial from 
Um, you could all you do is look at social media to see the support he had, and certainly from elements from within his own area, Dublin, he is seen as somewhat of a, a, a Robin Hood romantic type figure in, in in many ways, and that that's how he's viewed. And there was there was huge celebrations in the Dublin North Inner City last Monday night following his acquittal, um, for sure, um, and 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 I've no doubt it went on for it went on for a number of days. Um, mm. He is he is quite respected in many in many respects. Yeah, yeah. And I understand that this former, now former member of GSOC, were were they renting a house that had a connection to Mr. Hodge? There seems there, there's some suggestion that perhaps the landlord was a relative of the Hutch of, of the Hutch family landlord of this person, and that's how he ended up being invited to this social gathering. Now we understand that that goes in. So the main social or main homecoming party for Jerry Hutch took place in suburban Dublin, about a number of kilometres away from this. But earlier in the e- evening, he did attend at, at I think at, at a couple of premises, following his acquittal to um, to meet family members he hadn't seen in a while, and certainly it seems to have been the case that this person attended one of those gatherings. Yeah, yeah. so it goes forward now. GSOC doing its own internal inquiry. There are calls for an independent inquiry which will be chaired by a retired judge or indeed by a senior counsel. When is Simon Harris likely to receive the first report? Do you know? Simon Howard is expected, we believe, to receive the first within the coming days. It should certainly be this week. Um, I wouldn't imagine it'll be longer, and then he'll make a decision after that. If it warrants an, an, an independent inquiry, if, if or where we go from here, but certainly in the coming days, I expect yeah. Simon Harris to receive that report. Well, I see where, and this was out yesterday, I heard in, an interview with them. The Association of Garda Sergeants and Inspectors have called for an independent inquiry, and I assume the GRA and the GRA have a conference, I think, coming up. Have they? They, they, they're going to call for it too. So you have the two Garda bodies, if you want. The two Garda bodies now calling for an independent inquiry. Yeah. Is this inevitable? The GRA, the way, yeah. do you think? The GRA conference is in May this week and it's no doubt it will come up. The GSOC has been a controversial body since it was founded, um, certainly controversial with the AGSI and the GRA since it was founded um, some 18 years ago. So they certainly have a lot to say on the matter. They certainly have called for an independent inquiry into this matter because it is quite a, it's sort of quite a concerning development. Was it a case of... Because you have to remember that this... That this retired or this officer who now um, has now resigned from GSOC investigated the tragic death of Superintendent Colin Fox back in 2018. Now, Colin Fox was the lead investigator in the Regency investigation. Mm-hmm. So the, it, there's every chance that this GSOC investigator has access or has that file on the, re- on the Regency investigation as part of his probe into Colin Fox's death. So that's why he, in particular it has raised serious concerns yeah. from the elements within the Guardi. People who are old enough. Michael, to remember the term Gubu. This is certainly Gubu. Well, I saw Gubu mentioned in one newspaper article over the weekend, all right. Conor Cruz O'Brien's famous description of um, Malcolm MacArthur being the, being found in the home of the then Attorney General back in the early 1980s. So certainly it does. It does. There are obvious uh, parallels. Yeah, all right. Okay. Thank you, Michael. Michael Doyle of the Irish Sun following that story. Gubu was, let me get this right, grotesque unprecedented, bizarre, and what was the fourth one? Oh, I'll get it now in a second for you here. Yeah, it was grotesque, unprecedented, unbelievable, and bizarre. Gubu. 0818969696. But you have an investigating officer from the body set up to investigate the behaviour of the Gadi and make sure the Gadi are kept on their toes. You have a member of that group at a party with the monk 
just after the monk is cleared of murder by the Special Criminal Court. That one is going to drag on for a while. 0818969696. Yeah, GSOC was set up, as Michael said, back in 2005. Its commissioners at the moment are Rory McCabe, who is a judge, Emily Logan, who is the former Commissioner for Children, if I remember correctly, Ombudsman for Children, and someone called Hugh Hume, Hugh Hume, with whom I'm not familiar at all. Your thoughts on that, though? I mean, who should do that investigation? What does it say about the judgment of someone? Like, you you might know Jerry Hutch. Jerry Hutch might be a pal of yours. You might have gone for a pint with Jerry Hutch in the good old days. That's fine. But for goodness sake, you remember a GSOC. Don't go to that party. What were you thinking, like? Snap the app on Cork's 96FM is your ticket to free money. Free money. Can I get a woohoo from you because you are now 500 euro richer? Woohoo. Ah, come on, you can do better than that. Woohoo. <laughs> Thanks so much. I'm sure they are. You are now 500 Woo! euro Thank you so much. Download. Step one. Download the Quark's 96FM app to your phone. Step two. Snap a screenshot. Step three. What's up in to win? What's up in to win? Stay listening from 6am weekdays for your chance to play. Take me where you are. Snap the app. To win free money. We've still got thousands to give away. Yeah! Oh my God. Only on Quark's 96FM. Survey of childcare, the childcare industry has found a shockingly shocking different problem in getting staff. There are 200 jobs vacant in the childcare industry. So without carers, what happens to the childcare? What happens to the services? Um, 2,000, 2,000 jobs, not 200 jobs, I beg your pardon, 2,000 jobs are what the survey found. My, my mistake there. Ollie Sheehan from Mary Geary Crash. That's astonishing, Ollie. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, PJ, it's, um, it's, it's certainly a huge challenge to providers, to parents, to everyone involved in the sector because... You know, it's not a case of like, say, in an office where, oh, we just postpone doing that, you know, that work today or whatever it might be. That um, we cannot, if you don't have the staff, you can't take in the children. So on some days in extreme scenarios, a child might turn up in the morning to be told that um, that we can't, we don't have the staff to look after your child today. Now, thankfully, that hasn't happened with ourselves, mm. but it's it happens very regularly, and even then, on a regular basis, I know uh, many providers uh, have shut down rooms for a period of time. Um, the steps that we've taken ourselves, we have kind of increased. We we've stopped because there's a higher ratio of staff required for very young children under one for for the moment and I want to quite say for the foreseeable future, but we've stopped taking children under one year of age right. beca- because of that and we have stopped taking in uh, other children as well. We are we are just at this moment we are maintaining our numbers and that's what we are at. Um now I suppose very much on on our from our own point of view we have um 
I suppose, light at the end of the tunnel. Um, we attended a recruitment convention in Spain recently for yes. specifically for the childcare sector. And um, we met wonderful, enthusiastic, qualified uh, childcare staff, both with, uh, with degrees in childcare and de- degrees in teaching. And um, they're very enthusiastic about coming to Ireland. And uh, we we are fortunate enough that when uh, when these come out of college in June, right. uh, we'll be recruiting. We'll be recruiting them. And that's great, uh, Ali. But why have we got such a shortage in in this country? What, what? All right, I, I suppose. Look across the board. I don't know any sector that doesn't have a shortage in in staffing, but in particular in childcare, you know, it's it's a very all right. You know what? It's a challenging job. Uh, it's a very rewarding job. Um, but it's 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 a difficult it's it's it, it's it's wonderful work. But you know, some I, I mean, give you a simple example. Say, if you qualify, if you get some of the time now, if you want to go into teaching, you know, if you do childcare initially, and then you can possibly go on from there uh, into a teaching course, right? So previously, people that would have qualified with degrees, uh, they would they would have. Um, they, they would have stayed in the childcare sector. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, is that, look, the the lure, I suppose, of travel and whatever, we'd have a number of staff, say, that would have left us and gone to Dubai, Saudi Arabia, wherever, for work under contract for a couple of years, yeah. uh, you know, because out there you qualify as a full teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, with with the qualification you've here in Ireland, so it's a great opportunity for them as well, right? And look, from an employer, that's not great for me, but you know, it's great for I suppose to have that opportunity mm-hmm. to travel and things like that. So, it, how, how much of it, Dolly, is down to the pay and conditions of work in this it, country? All right, it certainly is now with. It certainly is a, a condition, is, is a problem, right? In that, like, we have core, the government introduced a scheme called core funding, which assisted parents uh, uh, with their fees last September. And they also set minimum rates for, for the childcare sector. Now, the problem is, is that they didn't, in, they haven't invested enough in that sector. And if, you know, if you want to provide a five-star service or if you want to provide a one-star, the funding is the same. So if you want to retain your very best staff, uh, you know, that is going to be a challenge, right? And obviously, money and conditions are a very great, uh, are a great problem, right? But from provider point of view, you know, we've got to be more creative as well mm-hmm. in what we can do and how we can retain staff. What is the basic it. rate of pay or what are the basic rates of pay? All right. Under under the under the Labour Court agreement uh, last September, uh, the the entry rate would be thirteen euros, right, uh, for someone coming out with a level five uh, childcare, you know, out of college or whatever, right. So that's thirteen euros an hour. And then, uh, if you move up the scale, the minimum rate for what we would call. Um, a, a, a lead educator, which would be someone that would be in charge in a room without having a degree that their rate of pay would be 14 euros 50. 
and a graduate lead educator, which is someone with a degree and uh, leading a room uh, that would be €15.50. And, um, you know, those rates... Uh, or a basic rate. They're not not very high, I'd have to say. They're not not very high. I agree with you. Particularly for someone who spent many years in college, you know. Exactly, 100%. And and we we as providers and as as an employer myself, I certainly recognise that and that, you know, more needs to be done, right? But as well as that, you know, there is... Uh, there is there are a lot of providers are struggling to keep the show on the road. You know, it is a very difficult the margins are are very tight. And you know what? Uh, I I know a number of providers that you know they almost don't see their business as a business. They you know they don't even they said we pay our staff and we really don't pay ourselves at all. You know, just to keep the show keep things going. You know, so. It's a challenge across the, across the board. Because we the services are not cheap, Ollie. They're not. No, they are not. Certainly not. No. I mean, it's, I mean, it's a it's, second it's, mortgage it's, for most it houses. It absolutely, it is a mortgage, and uh, it's equivalent to a mortgage. And um, you know, it it is a huge challenge for everyone involved. You know? So where are we going from here? I mean, are we go- are we going to have to recruit from Spain? All the time well, well, well then again, the problem is, look, I mean, the ideal scenario is that, you know, for us here, for example, a lot of, some of our staff would be with us over 20 years, right? And, um, you know, that's what you'd love to head for, you know, that, that you have people that are with you long term. And even like giving examples, we'd have, um, you know, some of our, say, for example, mentioned the word Spain, they are now Spanish. We'd have one or two Spanish staff that are with us, uh, you know, a long, long time. Mm. So that's the ideal scenario. So you get an opportunity to build up relationships and things like that, right? Uh, certainly, you know, recruiting from abroad, you have a challenge to do as well with accommodation yes, from exactly. there. Where so, are they going to stay? Yeah, where are they going to stay? So, you know, from an employer's point of view, uh, you know, employers in different sectors are already looking at that. And, you know, within the childcare sector, we are no different. And I think mm-hmm. something like that has got to be looked at mm-hmm. and and hopefully extra help from the government in that area there, as well. There, there's know? another problem as well, Ollie. We hear people um, on the phone to us all the time about... Um, breakfast clubs and, and after school clubs that, that it's so hard to get children into them Ballancolic seems to be particularly difficult to get breakfast club or after school club places so working parents really yeah, are absolutely. struggling to get the services Absolutely 100% I mean you know there's two things our own say for example here if someone was looking to put a baby now into our service here uh, our next availability is 2025 Right, our breakfast clubs are all we are full. We're 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 not taking anyone in our breakfast or after school clubs, whatever. We're full. We're not really taking anyone in unless we have someone who happens to leave, maybe moving to a different job or different part of the country or whatever. That's generally the way it would be for us, and it is a huge challenge. But on top of that, then as well, which make exacerbates all of these problems, is the levels of paperwork. And regulations, not, and not so much regulations, it's to do with this funding scheme and how the government runs it. Yeah. And it's creating huge headaches for providers. And, 
you know, I know here in, in Middleton there's two services going to close this summer. Um, yeah, and I, I mean, we heard that last year as well. That the yeah. One analysis of it is, Ollie, that I, I know that Roger Gorman has been talking an awful lot about putting an extra 10 or 11 million into the sector, which sounds like an awful lot of money. But what I also understand is guys like you can't get it. We can't get, exactly. I mean, you know what? A large percentage of this is swallowed up by administration. You know, giving you a simple example, the the scheme that the government introduced, uh, you know, I think there was about 15% of it went to their own administration costs. And the money that was, should have should be going directly to parents. Uh, again, from our point of view, we had an equal percentage of administration costs trying to make sure that we were compliant. Whereas from from my, my from our perspective here at Mary Geary's Childcare, um, we believe that the money should be given directly to parents by the government. You know that basically you register your child with a provider, and then. That money, uh, that money, once your child attends on the days given, that money is handed over directly to to the parents, and you reduce the administration. Mm-hmm. And there's nearly, I, my my opinion is that parents could get up to maybe twenty to twenty five percent extra money if that scheme was introduced. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, the government, um, you know, the you know the department has decided not to go that route. You know. Okay. Okay, okay. I'll leave it there. Ali, thank you. Ali Sheen of Mary Geary Childcare. That survey, just to clarify, 2,000 jobs. They surveyed 2,000 services and pretty much every one of them had a position they couldn't fill with adding up to an estimate of 2,000 jobs vacant across the sector. As Ali said, they're gone to Spain and they'll have graduates coming from Spain in time for next year. But for some reason there's no staff to be had locally. Bernie says I'm not surprised crash workers leave when they get better paid jobs. It's demeaning to be working so hard on such low rates of pay. Well, The, the, rate, the, rate, the rates of pay that Ollie gave me there has put them out there for so a level 5 which is basically a leaving cert a level 5 um, non-graduate worker, basic, most basic level worker in a creche would be thirteen euro per hour. You you would get more, I suspect, in Aldi. Fourteen fifty for a room leader uh, who's not a graduate, and then for someone who has a degree and who's leading a room, whatever that. I assume that's uh, if you're in the industry, you'll know what I mean by that. Fifteen fifty an hour, and certainly. Uh, a supervisor in McDonald's would get more than that. It's a fun day game time. It's celebrities and anything to do with food. Elevatorians one here. Kevin Double Bacon Cheeseburger. Yeah. Brad Pitterbread. Good. Uh, Goujon de Paul. Goujon de Paul. <laughs> Stephen Fry up. Yeah. John Cleese and Onion Pie. <laughs> The nail in the coffin that says I've beaten Cork in the Punday game. Three in Gokwan. <laughs> yes! Take them out, my friend. Casey and Ross in the morning. You can now order your 231 electric Skoda Enyaq from No DC Cars. Skoda sales dealer of the year. Exclusively Skoda in the city. Cork's 96 FM. 
Join the conversation. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cox 96FM. So those are the rates of pay. Uh, for childcare, and I'm grateful to Ali for giving them to us. These are the standard rates of pay. So, for someone who's not a graduate, starting off basic entry level wage, thirteen euro an hour, then a supervisory level of that employee would be fourteen fifty an hour, and then a graduate, the top level pay for a graduate would be fifteen fifty an hour. Which, let's face it, lads, it ain't gold dust. It sure isn't. Gold dust, because it could answer gold dust. It could answer some of the questions as to why there are so many vacancies in childcare at the moment. Avril, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. From Cork, care a lot, childcare. Huge problems in the sector at the moment, and you've had the problems yourself. Oh, absolutely. Um, just for example, I have a very dear friend of mine who runs um, a very similar service to mine and she had to notify her parents two and a half weeks ago that she wouldn't be opening up the following Monday her preschool rooms because she couldn't get staff to run the um, preschool rooms. So that's 88 parents notified on a Monday that their preschool wasn't going to be open the following week. That's going to cause chaos within the workforce because obviously, you know, they can't get childcare and they can't go to work and they're taking holidays and parents are stressed off their heads as we are as providers for the childcare as well. There's just no staff out there. You can't blame the girls that are qualified in childcare using their qualification as a stepping stone and going further afield and getting their degrees for primary school teaching, SNA work, and going in, you know, to the primary school sector. Because in fair, but those, those 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 rates of pay, particularly for the graduates, those rates of pay are nothing to write home about. Absolutely not, PJ. They are. It's terrible. And the job that these girls are doing, right, is a very important job, caring for the child. You know, as I always say to my parents when they come for viewings here, you know, your children are your most, you know, they're everything to you. It doesn't matter about the house or the car or the holidays, you know, or anything like that. Your child is so important. And that's our responsibility in caring and educating these, you know, these little beings and getting them a good start in life. It's a hard job. And yeah, 1550 is nothing. And we can't pay anymore because we're not getting the funding within the schemes that are all after being introduced. So it's a vicious circle. We're not getting the funding. So there's no money there extra to pay. We're having to pay, you know, these minimum rates. I wouldn't like my daughter to get into the sector. And I'm running the business for the last 15 years. There's a perception. There's a perception, Avril, that it's a highly profitable sector because of the cost to parents. It's another mortgage to a household. So the perception is there that it's got to be profitable. And you see, I think this is where it gets all very hazy, okay? So there's 1,600, 1,700 rural providers in Ireland. They're either renting a premises or they have the premises off their home. They have high outgoings, you know, as in costs and all the rest of it. The centres that you see that are making the profit, they're actually run by groups of investors, so they, these groups of investors are buying up these creches and they're investing their money and they're making it because they're such big centres. Mm-hmm. You know, they are making money out of it. Um, with the smaller provider or the medium sized provider that's paying a hefty rent, you know, they're doing it on their own and they're not taking a wage out of it. And they are really into, you know what I mean, the care of the child, not saying that the big centre isn't because it mm. is like Ollie is running an 
amazing centre down in Carrick Tool. I could never understand how a big centre could provide such care. And when I went down and saw the operation, like it's amazing. But Ali is a private provider. It's not a group of investors. I'm, I just really do think that, uh, you know, the small, medium-sized provider are struggling because their overheads are so big. Yeah, of course, gas and energy yeah. bills uh, in general Everything hasn't helped has either. Up. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, everything has gone up. And we had to sign a legal agreement with all these schemes coming in that we wouldn't put up our rates. And I understand why that is as well, because as you said, it is another mortgage for parents. So I don't know how parents are doing it. They're struggling as the provider is as well, you know. Have you had to try and provide jobs? Have you had to try and fill jobs yourself lately? Absolutely. So I had two vacancies come up last year and I was advertising for six months and I got in two CVs. The two CVs I got in, neither of the two girls had any of the qualifications. So I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to notify the parents and say that I can't open up a room. And I was like, what room am I going to close down? And I was like, do I email the parents, you know, that only come here part time? I was just really stressed off my head. But I ended up offering one of the girls the job, but I pay for her to do the course, if that makes sense. Yes. So I paid the twelve hundred euro for the VTEC five and she's doing the course. So she should be ready to take over for me now in June when I'm looking for her. I see. But it took me six months and paying for her to do the course, you know. And so, you, and you, will, will you have to recruit overseas to like Ali has? I haven't. I think I'm in a catch-22 because of a rural setting. Um, and that isn't... Um, it's not helping my situation for recruiting staff either because I'm a bit out from the city. So they're like, oh, it's too far to travel, you know. So there's a bit of that going on as well for me as a rural provider. Um, but I haven't gone overseas. I've hired Spanish girls before and I had an amazing girl, Anna, who only left. She was with me four years um, and she left because she started her own family or whatever. Um, yeah, but I haven't gone down that route yet. Okay. Not yet. Certainly a lot of unfilled jobs in, in the sector. Everell, thank you, Evershine of Cork care a lot child care um, imagine that though having to ring parents ring what is it 88 sets of parents to say we've no place next week for the child what are those people to do with regard to work and other commitments like working parents what, what, what are they to do if there's nowhere for their child to go by day yeah there's a lot more working from home going on just now but not every job can be done from home. We've spoken many times on the Opinion Line to Elaine Dunn, who's the chair of the Federation of Early Childhood Providers. That survey, Elaine, and the conversations I've had this morning with Avril and Ollie points to a huge problem in the sector. Oh, good morning. Uh, good morning, um, and thank you for having me on. It's absolutely a huge problem. We can't get staff anywhere, even from overseas. People are still there struggling. Because you've got to remember when you bring in staff from overseas, you have to find accommodation for them. So the rents are too high. They can't afford it. We can't afford to pay any more wages to them because we're running at a loss. A lot of us are the small and average providers. So it's, it's a, a knock-on effect all around. I've also been speaking to um, some TVs down around rural Ireland over the last two weeks. And they are hugely concerned um, for the rural Ireland because services are closing down all over the place. They just cannot remain open. Government funding has failed the small and average providers, and we all know that. It's not something that people are not aware of because I've been saying it for over the, the last year. Um, core funding has failed these service providers, and they're closing down in droves. 
and it, it's awful. We can't, and then you've got the knock-on effect of we can't get staff. So the full daycare is a closing down room because we can't find staff anywhere. You know, so it's just the whole thing, as always, it's just one big mess. And when you meet with your accountant, and, you know, I heard you talking about profit there. You know, everybody goes into business to have some kind of a profit in your bank. And one of the things that an accountant would always say is you must have three months wages in your bank. And I can categorically tell you that any of the small and average providers, I wouldn't say there's not. I'd say none of us have three months wages in the bank at any one time. Yeah. You're supposed to have it like that all the time. And I can tell you for me, I do not have that. You know, yeah. I'm, in, I'm in Dublin and I pay huge rent, huge rent in Dublin. Yeah. In terms so, of staff numbers, Elaine, um, mm-hmm. I know that the, the ratio is governed by legislation. So how, how many children to one worker? For, again, for the benefit it, it, of people it depends who don't know. On, it depends on the type of service. So it's one um, uh, childcare um, practitioner to three babies. And it goes up from that. So it goes, goes from two to six, um, two to eight, depending on the age group. So it goes up and up and up. There's all changes. So if it's after schools, it's 1 is to 12. If it's in SU service, it's 1 is to 11, which, by the way, is unmanageable. You cannot work in an SU service with one staff member to 11 children because they're from the age, they range from the age of two years, nine months to five. Oh, no, you wouldn't last a week. But, but we, are, we are being forced to do that. So a lot of us um, would have three staff in an SU service of 22 because it's for health and safety and well-being reasons we do it. But we don't get paid for that extra staff member. So you're paying out an extra wage. So those providers are not actually taking home a wage. They're running at a massive loss just to keep the service open. And these are all things that the Department of Children are very, very aware of. You also have to remember our staff are leaving and they're going into schools to become SNAs. They're joining Tuscla. They're joining Better Start. They're joining the Department of Children. They're going into colleges to become uh, training teachers. Um, SNAs in the main schools and then there's also um, anybody that's over level 8 can go in there and become a substitute in the mainstream school so we don't stand a chance so what's happening is we're training these wonderful wonderful people up to a fantastic level and then they are leaving with no option by the way and I don't blame any of them they're leaving to go to another uh, type of job that gives much more a higher wage and gives much more job prospects but we're governed by the Department of Children and our Minister. We can't do a thing because we've now got our fees frozen. And for SU service providers, they can't charge a fee. So these are the ones that are closing down. There's a big um, service in Terran Ewer in Dublin, full day care gone. Yeah. Absolutely gone. And then you see there's, there's large services that are buying up everything they can get their hands on. How do we stand a chance? Yeah. Maybe this is government policy. Maybe it's what they want. They want all of us small and average providers gone and for the much larger services to take over. Maybe it'll be less of a headache for them. Yeah. Who knows? But when well, you see... They want to try and corporatise the sector, you mean, Elaine? Yeah, well, that's... I mean, look what's going on in the UK. So last year in the UK, over 5,000 small and medium-sized services closed down. Mm. And more and more and more of the, the mass services starts to open up. And now it's backfiring and... People have come out in the droves and they're fighting. I know there was supposed to be a protest over there in March and it was postponed until June because the government has agreed now to do one more um, review of the sector. But sure, we use, as you know, paper, like it's just a paper trail, paper trail, but nothing changes. Meanwhile, on the ground, mm. we can't 
cover classrooms. Roderick Gorman consistently says, and we've discussed this before, let's go through it again, yes. though, for the benefit of people who mightn't yeah. have got it the first time. So Roderick Gorman says, Elaine, there's millions, there's no shortage of money, there's loads <laughs> of money on the table. And he put money, but what... Where then? Yeah, so where is it going? Yeah, where is because it going? We, yeah. Okay, so we, we did a whole um, document on this and it showed where it was going. And it was going to the much larger services, to the mass services, okay? And then you come down the line and when it comes to the medium and average providers, we didn't get enough to keep us going. So uh, as far as I know, and we've run a couple of surveys ourselves recently and we do have a document being released in the next two weeks, a lot of the average providers are pulling out of core funding in August to up their fees because you've got to remember a lot of these average providers did not up their fees since 2017 where the larger services would have been up in their fees continuously yeah. because like, you know, and a lot of us, I suppose, we forgot that we were businesses because we look after the children and we want to nurture children and sometimes you forget that actually I am running a business. I am entitled to make a profit. Why shouldn't I? What business would not want to be there and not make a profit. You should give up if you're not making a profit, right? In mm-hmm. any business, that's what you're accounting Well, I would have thought, Elaine, I, I mm-hmm. hear from many people in, in the sector that they themselves either don't take a wage or either yeah. only take a wage every two weeks or something. Like, yeah. what's the so, point PJ, of operating a business if you can't take a wage for yourself? Because we are hoping with the fight that the Federation is doing at the moment that the Department of Children are going to listen. And actually, it's, it's government policy that's failing and the government policy has to be amended here. It has to go back. They have to come back onto the ground and listen to what the reality on the ground is because the reality on the ground and what's written in black and white on paper. I mean, I know a new document um, part of Nurture Skills was released in March you know, and it's all of how wonderful the sector is. And it's not. Yeah. We are falling apart at the seams. And I know that's very negative, and I know it's not what parents want to hear. But the parents need to help and support us as well. Come sometimes, out with sometimes Elaine, we need to give vent to these to these tr- truths because... Absolutely. Know. And, like, parents, like, that, that service, and I know that service provider, that's 88 children that took a hit. And I didn't see anything anywhere about... On, on the radio or anywhere else saying that this service provider was struggling to get staff, you know, yeah. because it's all, it's like, it's not as if the provider is hiding it, it's because the government are hiding all of the closures. So we have said, and, and we've continuously said how many services are closing. We ran a survey um, only recently, only to HA service providers alone, and out of 600, 122 are closing. Oh. That's one in six around the country closing. Oh. And it is rural Ireland that's taken the biggest hit. And that's a whole lot of families thrown it's into disarray. But it is because... What happens to the working parent then? But then, but it's also in rural Ireland, so they they may have to travel to another town, which is 25 kilometres away from where their job is. So they're completely leaving the town that they're in to go somewhere else to get a service provider to take them on. And what's happening is the knock-on effect is that these other places are booked out, so there's no places. So what's the, the right of the child? Where's the right of the child in all of this? A child has a right to be educated. And if there's no services there because of government funding failing and policy, government policy failing the family, then we need to go right back and talk to government and say, your policy is failing the rights of the child and it's failing the families that need to go to work. And it's also failing our economy and us on the ground. That's that's very stark and a good way to finish. Elaine, thank you. Elaine Dunn, the chair of the Federation of Early Childhood Providers. But just think about that operation recently. 
So they had to close four of their rooms for lack of staff. That's 22 kids, 88 in total, 88 families thrown into disarray because there's nowhere for little John and Mary to go next Monday morning. So who stays home from work, mum or dad? And how sustainable is that? It's not sustainable because someone will end up losing their job over that and then the family is down money and it's a mess. It's a mess. Baldy Barber says take-home pay should be €600 Euro net for anybody who's working. What, you mean, Baldy, that we'd all just take home 600 or that no one would take home less than 600 Which would be? 081... Oh, yeah, 0818969696. John is delighted that the monk walked free from the special criminal court because the guardie made a pig's ear of the case. Well, John, whatever about the guardie... And they'll answer their own questions at their own time. The DPP, and I said this last week and I stand over it, the DPP decided to charge for murder when there was a half a dozen other things that the Special Criminal Court could have got the the monk on. But they couldn't get him on murder. So why did they bring forward a case that they couldn't win? The Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon returns May 25th to 27th to raise funds for Cork Cancer Services. You make me feel Every year we speak to people touched by cancer. So if you've got a story to tell, we'd love you to get in touch. Simply email radiothon at 96fm.ie to find out more. The Giving for Living Radiothon, supporting Cork Cancer Services, May 25th to 27th. You make you make me feel only on Cork's 96FM. The minds are live. Hello. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96FM.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cork's 96FM. Yeah, just reading through the pay rates. There is a pay for people working in creches and in childcare. I think a lot of listeners listening to those rates of pay and thinking, well, why would anybody, particularly someone who's been to college and gotten a degree, a good degree, why would they work for 15 quid an hour in that sector when they might make a whole pile more in other sectors? And in fairness, the providers themselves, Ollie and April, said, look, you know, that, 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 is, the, that is the wage provided and our margins are too tight to, to, to pay any more. And yes, there is this perception that there's shed loads of money being made in childcare. There is in the big corporate ones that own half a dozen different places and it's all run by investors. They're making loads and loads of money. But you're generally in rural areas, your local childcare provider is making very little money on top of it and sometimes don't even take a wage themselves uh, the odd week, if, if not all weeks. Also, this reminds on the phone, childcare workers in creches have to sign on during the holidays that in itself is very demeaning. Indeed it is. Uh, Kevin says you have the cost of getting qualified, you have the poor wages for those qualifications, and you have the cost of living, accommodation, transport, etc., etc. Like most things, it's not one silver bullet that will fix everything. Thanks, Kev. 0818 96 96 96, the number, the text to WhatsApp, 083 396 96 96. Now, the Mrs. Sent on this tweet to me yesterday. It was Alan's tweet at Carlo Weather. He'd picked up on this video from Ballincollig of what looked like a tornado. It certainly did look like a mini tornado going across Ballincollig. And if you watch the video, there are cows 
running away from whatever this is. Elaine Pilkington, that's your video. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. So you're a a good distance away from it. At what point did you realise there's something up and I better start filming it? Yeah, well, it was actually my husband that pointed it out first. I didn't see it initially. We had just parked up in that car park and we were facing that hill. And he just, jeez, look at that. And we looked up and we were like, my God, it's a tornado. And then we were thinking, maybe it's not. Maybe it's just, you know, farm machinery or something, you know. And we were kind of looking at it. And then I thought, I'd better video this. So I started videoing it straight away. But my son was in the back of the car going, move we need to move because <laughs> he thought it was going to come for us you know um and we were like no no it's okay it's fine and he was like the cows are moving we need to move <laughs> so um yeah so we we were just videoing it away the cows were running over and back the field um and it only lasted about a minute yeah. maybe a little bit longer um so yeah it was pretty cool to see it you you have a bit of an interest in weather and strange weather you saw a tornado before initially did you yeah, it was um, water spouts about nine years ago. Again, like that, it was first thing in the morning. My husband called us out. Um, we were holidaying on the coast of Italy and we went out and there was these huge uh, water spouts um, just forming and then disappearing and forming again. That was the first time I'd ever seen anything like that. I was probably a bit nervous then because I'd never seen anything like that. Mm. Um, whereas on Saturday, I was kind of thinking, I know you know, we'll be okay. We're a good distance away. They don't last very long, do they, these little ones? No, they don't. I mean, the video I took there was 25 seconds. I had also taken a photo before it, after it, and I have another video that was about 22 seconds long while it disappeared. Um, So a minute at the most it was there, and we watched again for another while to see if any more formed, but they didn't. That was it, you know. Um, So, yeah, not long at all. Yeah, it's it's a mixture of warm and you've looked, looked. It's warm and cold air meeting at just the right time and just the right place, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's. I don't know a lot about them either. You know, I just know there's moisture, cold air, hot air, and you know, over the weekend, I suppose it has been quite warm, but there's very cold air there That's as right. well. That's right. So obviously, it was just the the perfect um, conditions for it. I was sitting out yesterday afternoon. Beautiful sunshine yesterday afternoon, and yes, it was step out of the sunshine, and it was quite cold. Freezing. Yeah. Yeah. Very cold. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was it was it was great to see it. Um, glad I wasn't anywhere closer to it. Um, uh, and I don't. I haven't heard any more yeah. if there was any destruction. Or I was just going to say that. No, any damage done? There were no. You didn't see any buildings in its path or anything like that, no. No, because it was right on the top of that hill, and I looked at a map later on just to see what was in that area. But it just seems to be all fields. So possibly there were trees down, but you know yeah. it might take the farmer of that land to go out and check and only to see it, you know, maybe during the week, you don't know, but uh, it doesn't seem to be that there was anything in that area. Okay, yeah, because the, the, the cows certainly knew to get away from it anyway. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they did. Yeah, right. Cheers, Elaine, thank you for that. Elaine Pilkington, 0818 96 96 96. A, tora- a tornado, if you look up any of the official websites, a tornado it comes from a severe thunderstorm in warm, moist, unstable air along and ahead of cold fronts. Basically what it is, it's a bunch of hot air and a bunch of cold air meeting up together. And if, ah, there's the man who'll tell me now. He's coming up on the line. Yeah, because I'm only talking through my hat. It's hot and cold air meeting in a particular way. But let's 
go to Alan at Carlo Weather. Alan, explain it for me better than I can, will you? What causes one of these things? Morning. Good morning. Yeah, it's a rotating pillar of air, basically, that comes down. Very often, people call them a funnel cloud because that's how they start out, which is basically a funnel of cloud that comes down. But very rarely in Ireland do they actually touch down. And if they do, it's usually over water, which we call a water spout. Mm-hmm. But uh, this one, amazing one that Elaine captured, certainly looks like it uh, was a full tornado, which means it came right down to the surface. And it's a rotating column of air, basically. Um, we do get them in Ireland, but very rare and very even rarer to be captured. Um, normally, it's the aftermath that we see. Is it to do with the fact that we were noticing pretty much everyone noticed over the week, Alan, that the, the sunshine when it came out was lovely, but step out of the sun and the air is still quite cold. Is, the, is that partly why the, this might have happened? Yeah, so we did have some instability and we did have some very kind of heavy showers and thundery showers, so very unsettled weather. So yeah, the big the difference, the variance in temperature um, and normally you would have more showers associated with it. So looking back at the radar, there wasn't really around that time, which is unusual. Um, but I, I think, yeah, I think the conditions were conducive to that kind of event. Um, as I say, very rare and normally very short-lived and small, but still um, very rarely captured. They could well do huge the damage if, if they hit a building, could they? They did, yeah. I mean, we've had them in the past where, you know, as I said, normally local and small, but they've done structural damage to houses and to um, sheds, especially farm sheds and trees, ripped trees, ripped the tops oh. off trees and that. So they certainly can do damage, yeah. Crikey. While, while I have you, Alan, any chance of a bit of proper spring coming? I know you've been looking at the various models over the last week and a bit. There, there's no strong prediction there, is there? No, but it's very cold today and tonight there's a frost away from the coast tonight which a lot of gardeners will be worried about but it does look like much milder air as we head towards the end of the week um, and into the weekend but unsettled with showers at the moment not too serious rainfall amounts not too great but no 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 early kind of high pressure bringing up that Spanish plume or anything to get the, the barbecue too excited about no, no bit of proper spring coming just yet. We'll, we'll keep an eye though. Alan, thank you. Alan O'Reilly of uh, Carlo Weather. Well worth a follow for all things weather. And Elaine, who took that fabulous video of the tornado. A real tornado. And if that hit a building, bang, does damage. Good to see, good to see the, the video though. Great. Actually, it's, I think, did, did, did we share it, guys? You can actually see it. It moves. And the, the, the best thing about it is the cows actually run away from it. They knew this was a thing to be feared. And to be treated with respect. 0818969696 on creches. This is an interesting one. PJ, my wife works in a creche. Not only is it a problem with staff, but also parents insist on bringing in sick children, sick children with COVID and they've scarlet fever and they've other illnesses. It's terrible. They've had to threaten parents now that children will be brought to a guard the station if they don't collect the child and take them to a hospital or a doctor. What? Guard the station? So, look, one assumes, child wakes up with a temperature, parents, well, we heard this during COVID, do you remember, that children were loading up, or being loaded up with Calpol at half eight in the morning to get down whatever bit of a temperature they had. If they were any bit snuffly or sneezy at all, they'd be sent home, and, and rightly so during the pandemic. Uh, but, you, this, according to this message, we're getting children who are sick are being sent into creche sick and then staff can't track down mum or dad. So they're saying, look, we never, for goodness sake, would you take them home 
they're sick. But you can also see why mom and dad might say, I need to go to work. I have to keep my job. I have to earn my wage and pay these huge energy bills we're all getting. It's just a mess. I mentioned out of the 9 o'clock start this morning that it seemed we were okay traffic-wise this morning and it seemed that that huge diversion around the city, that it did end on time to get people back to normal for this morning. But one thing we have noticed for much of the city, like last week, there was travel chaos two or three times. Some people stuck in traffic for up to two hours of a morning and into the afternoon. Patrick Street bumper to bumper at half eleven in the morning for no reason that anybody can see. The slightest little bit of a jolt now on any one of a half a dozen pinch points sends traffic into chaos. It's such a tight situation that we have. And it's called for change, or it's led to calls for change. Independent councillor uh, Mick Finn is one of those calling for change. If you just want to release him there, let's like take him up. But we have there are calls going on for a second traffic control centre now. Like We've got the one at Anglesey Street, but they're calling for a second one to look after the Douglas and Carrigaline area. But Mick, we do have this series of pinch points now where if you have a tip at one of them, everything else stops. Good morning. Good morning, PJ, how are you? Good, good. That is the story, isn't it? Wayne from the or, or when in the plane who knows mm. traffic better than most he can predict in the mornings now if there's one little incident at one little pinch point we're all goosed for an hour that shouldn't be the case yeah and like that that is happening more and more frequently I think especially you know after COVID when everything kind of has got back to normal and people are back walking and obviously the school and everything back as well your usual traffic but it seems to be very unusual at the moment um, all those traffic build-ups and clogging in around the city and, um, you know, as I see, I've highlighted one in the Douglas area, but I mean, there are plenty of areas uh, that people will kind of ring in about and say, look, this happens regularly in, in my location. And I think we just do need to have an overall look at it. Mm. Um, and, you know, that second control centre call, I would agree with. Um, and even, you know, we had a city centre movement strategy as well carried out, I think it was 2017 or 18. Um, and to me, it just doesn't seem to have worked, uh, you know, in around the keys there and some of the... Some of the the, 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 the the no turns across bridges, you know, towards the north side of the city, to me, just don't make much sense. Mm. Um, so I, I think we need to have a complete review of it. And like that, I know a number of us in, in city council have called on the, the traffic section um, and on the engineers to, to look at these things because it's very frustrating for people. We know that there's a huge change coming, particularly, for example, around McCorton Street and all the changes going on there mm. one has to as as someone who drives McCorton Street two or three times a day some days and certainly five days a week every week what they're doing will look lovely but I'd hate to be getting caught in it when it snarls up yeah and I mean I suppose that we know when you start poking around and doing various um, kind of I suppose positive things and you know public realm things in the city it does have a knock on effects for traffic now, I suppose ultimately, you know, what's probably been looked at here is modal shift and, and getting people out of cars and into public transport. And I suppose that's the ultimate aim in, in a lot of these uh, plans and projects. And it, there will be disruption during it. But I'm not sure that a lot of these streets are kind of, you know, are, and, and a lot of our narrow streets and McCartan Street, no, it wouldn't be narrow. But, you know, a change there. To, now, to, yeah, well, yeah, it is. And the change there to traffic, like, you know, I'm not sure that it, it can be designed in. Um, I think there's a lot of positive things happening in McCartan Street, but like, 
you know, I've been caught in that traffic myself. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, I, I like I, I just think there are probably different motivations at work um, in terms of getting people out of cars. But you know, and I, you know, people will say, "Ah, look, you know, suck it in and you know, put it up with it for the moment until we get better public transport." Like that's a difficult proposition for many people. Um, you know, like we have a, a new road system in Corra Road that's causing consternation, and not, like all of the local councillors have told them at the start when we when we're doing this and designing it that it wouldn't work. Yeah. And you know, and and we've been proven right. The same again as in Douglas and that junction there. Yes, by the by the Grail Skull. That's carnage. Yeah. That's just mad. It's, it's it's carnage, and I mean, I think that. What they've actually done and what they what they've installed there actually isn't bad, but it's just the management of it is the problem. The lights aren't speaking to each other; they're not in sync. And I, I got emails during the week, you know, having raised this in in the in the media. I got loads of emails from people in in Willow Court and in Ballincarrick Court, or Willow Park, sorry, and Ballincarrick Court, mm-hmm. Ballincarrick Court, say that they can't get out of their estates uh, and they, they have to pick certain times of the day when they can go in and out. And you know, the big bills up of traffic going into the village. I mean, that's just not not on. I mean, that mm-hmm. junction was improved you know, to make people's lives easier. And in fact, it's had, it's had the opposite effect. It has, it has um, indeed. We, we get calls here all the time, messages, make accusing the council and accusing the transport authorities in general of declaring war on, on the humble motorist. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, and I think that's probably what's happening. Um, you know, it's obviously for an overall picture in terms of changing people's habits. And I think that's a, that's a fair point. Um, you know, I'm a motorist myself. I need my car for work. I need it for the council work. I mean, I, I just couldn't do without it because the public transport system isn't up to scratch. I mean, we're, we're 10, 15 years behind Dublin. You know, if you, were, if you were going to a meeting in Dublin or you're going up, you can get the train, you can get the Lewis, you can get, a, you know, hop on a bus every five or six minutes. You just can't do that in Cork. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, you know, and I know it's a bit of chicken and egg. You see, you know, people with bus connects and the plans for that, and and you know, people will say that's going to be very disruptive, which it is. But then the end result may result in better, um, you know, better public transport. But I think there is a general war on motorists. Um, I, I, I know, I would have to agree with that, being one myself. And um, you know, it can be very frustrating. But then again, maybe that's the maybe that's the intention to make it to make it frustrating so that people won't. Uh, will think of other options other than their car. Like, like Peter Horgan, the, the Labour Party representative there in D- Douglas, he yeah. said, and, and I think he's right here, with the best will in the world, the Bus Connect corridors are years away. And he's right. The, you know, the, People react to Bus Connects as if they were going to start swinging pickaxes tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's a long process, and we were we, we like we were informed of that from day one. I mean that the very initial one caused controversy last year when it was released. But I mean, you know, it's three, four, five years down the line before even the final routes and the final you know uh, plans are agreed on. We're, we're in the next phase at the moment, and people should get involved in it if it affects their area. Mm. But like, it's going to be, it is like it's realistically probably going to be seven, eight, nine years before um, that substantial work. I mean that's going to cause huge disruption. But you would hope ultimately that you know. I mean, I worked in Dublin, I was in college in Dublin, and I mean, you know, they're ahead of us in terms of their cycle infrastructure, their bus infrastructure, and it works there. Now, I'm sure you have people up there giving out as well, but, you know, it takes a long time for that to bed in, and I think you're, you're looking certainly at a decade before that. You know, it's completed, and, you, and we're promised the you know the light rail system to Ballincollig, which will be fantastic, and I think it'll be outstanding. But if the bus connects, will take ten years. That's going to take twenty years. Um, you know, so I, th- I think there's there is a longer game here. But I suppose in the meantime, we'll, we'll both have the free travel, Mick, by the time that can we be will, used. We will, we will, we'll both have the free travel by then. <laughs> um, but 
but in everything else, you know, the same as in housing, I think, you know, there are long-term strategies, but there are also um, kind of mid-term fixes that are required. And I, that's what we, we've called on the council to look at traffic management generally yes. and see, can we come up with solutions in the short and medium term as well? I know, before, like, you know, outside of the bigger picture, but just for people at the moment who need cars, who need, you know, to get to work and to get to school and mm. to get to college, you know, that's needed as well. Like, I have to go to Mallow this evening. Uh, for for eight o'clock, and I leave my house in Douglas no later than half six twenty to seven, just in case. Just yeah. in, if I get there early and can read a book while I'm waiting, that's fine. But I'm leaving an hour and a half to get there, just in case. Yeah, yeah, and I mean a similar thing happened to me. We had to go to be at an early meeting in Charleville there a couple of weeks ago, and I was giving myself kind of an hour to get there, and it was an hour and a half it took me to get to Charleville. Yeah. Um, you know, so and then people will argue, you know, why not get the train? But then the train wasn't suitable because of where the meeting was on, and you know, you have, you have all issues, issues like that. But you know, and then and then there's that to be said. You know, you could leave maybe half an hour, you know, just before you're due to go, and you might get there on time, depending on traffic movements, and right. and every, everybody is trying to figure out the best time to leave and the best time to avoid traffic jams and it's a bit of a guessing game so I think we need to take the bit, we need to take the guessing out of it a bit and, and just make it a bit more a bit more manageable for people you know until those major changes come down the line Okay Alright Mick thank you Independent City Councillor Mick Finn. Oh stay there Mick um, I know yeah. you're heavily involved just one minute if you could you're heavily involved in darkness into light it's, yeah. We're really into the final build up now yeah, well, look, we've kind of just less than two weeks to go, um, and you know, we it's the first time it's been in, in the flesh, I suppose, in Cork City in three years. So we're uh, looking forward to welcoming people to UCC campus, which is the start and finish of the Cork City event um, on Saturday week and the sixth in the early hours. Uh, so we we'll be encouraging people to get involved. It's been very well supported in Cork down through the years, um, and I know I think it just ensures that uh, PSA can continue to provide their services uh, free, you know, to people who need it. So uh, looking forward to a big event. It's a remarkable event. I've attended uh, more than once over the years. Thank you, Mick. 0818969696. Independent councillor Mick Finn. Actually, myself and Fergal were chatting about traffic this morning in the office early. And I said to him, the one thing that really does, and he kind of differs with me on it. Fergal says, sure, if there's plenty of room in the car park, where's the problem? You know the way you go into a car park, right? And there are spaces in the car park. Two parallel lines you drive in between them, you pull up the handbrake, you turn off the engine. I would have thought, you know what, that should be basic. You go around and you see them with one, they're all to the left, they're all to the right, or the one that really does my head in is the one where you just pull the car in, sort of half diagonally across, so you're taking up two spaces. How do you even have a driver's license if that's the way you park your car? Line it up, straighten it up and park. And don't care if the place is empty. One space, one car. Or is it just me? I don't know. Ewer has a particular... What these habits that drive you mad on the road? I think the, the car parking. Just find a space and drive properly into it. it. It can't be rocket science. Although, if someone did park like an idiot an hour ago, they've made everybody else near them park like an idiot just to get into the spaces. So there is that. The one that <laughs> annoys Emer is when you're coming out of a garage or somewhere, and she maintains it's just men that do this. I don't know. You're coming out of a garage or somewhere and someone pulls up to let you come out and then they kind of start waving, waving, waving. Just, come, 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 come. Like, what else are they supposed to do? There's someone else trying to get up their backside from behind them. Although the only thing about that is that, well, you see, 
why is it always men that do that? Because there's no women going to let you out like that. That's not going to happen. Drive home weekdays from four on Corks ninety six FM. It's week two of Snap the App. There's five hundred euro up for grabs every evening on the show, and you could be our next big winner. Download the Corks ninety six FM app, and I could be calling you next. Listen in to win every weekday from four. The big drive home with Nine Motors, your number one for Kia in Cork. Corks ninety six FM. <laughs> Join the conversation. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Coach 96FM. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Yeah, there's a thing. What what are the habits that drive you mad? Other drivers' habits that drive you crazy. Like, there's all courtesy and everything there, but some people can be over courteous. So they let half the half the country through. And you're sitting behind going, for goodness sake, I have to get out of here. So you're sitting behind this really courteous driver. Really courteous. Now, there's courteous and there's courteous. They're waiting... And they're waiting for an invitation to come out into the road or something. And you're sitting there behind going, for the love and honour of God, will you drive on? Or the other one where the light goes green, right? The light, the traffic light goes green and you're sitting there three cars back going, any particular shade that you'd prefer? But then I could be accused of being over eager on the road. Text or WhatsApp, your favourite one, the one that drives you crackers. Probably seen me do one or two of them, I suppose. Oh eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six. We will do. Oh, by the way, yeah, snap the app after eleven. After eleven, it is back this week. Another five hundred euro a day. We had a winner on Friday from the show. Five hundred euros. If you haven't downloaded the app yet, download it now and get ready to play between eleven and twelve. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Now you've heard the expression deep fake. I'm sure you have heard that expression. And AI, artificial intelligence, and chat GBD, and I could write a whole essay for you now, and you've never... It's all artificial intelligence. And deep faking and artificial intelligence are working together. Now, we did this here a few years ago. There was a, a case involving a leisure club 
where staff at the Leisure Club found their faces lifted and put on to very questionable pictures, websites. So it was deep faking or the start of it. One Australian woman is campaigning for more to be done to get it stopped. Uh, I speak of Noelle Martin of Perth in Australia who has been battling her own deep fake demons for 10 years ago now. And Noelle, you've no idea to this day who's doing this to you. But it continues. Almost every day, almost every week, there's something new. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. What happened to you all those years ago? So a couple of years ago, uh, perpetrators created deep fake videos of me, deep fake pornographic videos of me, but that wasn't even the full story. Um, Ten years ago and over the period of of the last decade, uh, perpetrators have been creating and and sharing online fabricated pornographic images and so you know with the with advancements in technology they just use that um, as just another um, weapon to perpetrate abuse against me and that's what I've, I've been having to deal with how, how did it all start it started about ten, 10 years ago um, and it all started I don't know who the perpetrators are to this day. No one's been held accountable for for what they've done. Uh, But I believe what their motivations were when they started all of this against me was simply they fetishized me. They saw, they probably saw um, images of me from, you know, a nightclub or from a university event and decided they wanted to, um, I guess, objectify me in, in a sexual way. And then they created fake pornographic images of me with those with those wow. um, ordinary images. And then over time, because I started speaking out publicly and because I started fighting for justice, um, they created the deep fakes. And I believe that was motivated from a sense of we're going to try and intimidate you and we're going to try and um, silence you because you have the audacity to fight back. And so I think that it's that it's changed over time. But those those are the reasons I believe I, I was af- affected by this. Now, you didn't have or did you have any kind of public profile at the time that it first started? Or were you just a random individual that got picked up um i was a completely random like everyday individual i'm like i am nobody with with no no profile i mean especially at the time um and even now i mean i the only profile i have is fighting back against this but Mm. i'm not a i'm not a public figure you know i'm not a celebrity and i've never been one i don't come from a family of, of of anything in that world um so it was just it was just me as an an everyday person and this is the scary thing about this issue is that it doesn't just impact public figures celebrities it absolutely does impact everyday people. So someone lifted an image of you from social media and began to create pornographic images from it. And then when you pushed back against it, the images got worse. Videos emerged again, completely fake and you could do nothing about it. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. And yeah, I mean, well, here's the thing is that we have 
I, I helped push for laws in Australia and, you know, the laws uh, changed here. And, you know, clearly, clearly I wasn't the only one or solely responsible for that, but the laws did change, and I and I helped play play a part in that. Um, but even though we have laws in this country in Australia, um, they still you know couldn't help me. And even if I was impacted by this post the laws being introduced, they still wouldn't help me. Why? Because this is a global issue, and I don't know who the perpetrators are, and they are very likely overseas somewhere, not in not in Australia. So there's there's nothing really that can be done, and it's and. Not even just that, but the fact that there's all of the images and the videos still out there um, and there will never be a day, I don't believe, in my lifetime. I mean, unless we have major, major changes in 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 what can be done to help tackle this, um, that those images and videos will be completely taken down. And even if I do manage to try and get them taken down completely, I could never, ever guarantee in my life that they won't pop up again because the perpetrators aren't held accountable. So these are the challenges that you face in terms of tackling this issue and, and dealing with it on a personal level. You began to, to campaign against this behaviour and try and have something done about it, not just for yourself, but for presumably hundreds and thousands of other people. And it's been a very hard fight. Yeah, it's been in a very tough fight because you're trying to fight for justice, but you also need to try and r- raise awareness as well. And the difficulty in that is, you know, people don't fully understand how this can impact someone i think there is a lot of a lot of misunderstanding about how how this is how this manifests for people and the fact that this is a lifelong sentence for people especially women this impacts your your employment your interpersonal relationships your romantic relationships your um, economic opportunities your dignity your humanity your your just daily life activities this is something that you can't escape from because it's out there on the internet this is something that will impact you potentially um forever and i think there's that lack of understanding that you also have to fight against like deal with and so there's just so many layers involved in in trying to deal with this issue then the platforms facebook twitter tiktok (laughs) apple google what have they done to try to combat this? So there's a, a, a new tool that has been developed and it's called um, Stop NCII. And it allows people to upload an image and create a digital fingerprint of that image and partnering companies can help take down that image or stop that image from ever coming on their platforms. And so there are tools these these big companies are using but i don't believe that they're doing enough to tackle this issue you know to this day and for years and years people have been allowed to use platforms um social media platforms to distribute non-consensual intimate images and videos and you know ultimately these social media companies are profiting from that content and there isn't nearly enough being done i think it is absolutely essential that that social media companies and and these tech companies are held accountable and held accountable for fail for failing Mm. to remove content um and even for for enabling it in any way have you come to a very uh, sad conclusion noel that you you actually will never win here 
well, I don't know if I can think like that. I can't afford to think like that because there's just too much at stake. There's there's too many people who who can't speak out. You're speaking out of their behalf. And I can. I feel like I have to fight. Earlier we said that when you started to push back, it got worse. You're continuing to push back, and I assume it's continuing to happen. Why do you keep pushing back, Noelle? Well, I keep pushing back because I feel such an enormous sense of responsibility to tackle this because there are a lot of people who are experiencing this behind the scenes who are too afraid or worried about speaking about this or or, or fighting back themselves. And so I, I just feel like I have to because there's, there is too much at stake. You have the voice and you have the ability to communicate so you kind of see this as your work now? I mean, it, it is, it feels like work, yeah. but it's, <laughs> most of it's unpaid work. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, this is what I guess you have to do. And what I, well, I feel like I have to do. Well, I hope that one day you will be able to get everything taken down and you will have the power and the support to get it all taken down and many more people like you. It's been good to speak with you and thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. That's Noelle, Noelle Martin uh, in Perth in Australia. She's 28 and she's been battling this for 10 years. Someone just took a picture of her from social media and that's how it all started. Um, Bernie says, if you put your picture online, expect these things to happen. It's the way of the world now. Don't put yourself out there, says Bernie. I wouldn't be agreeing with you there, Bernie. You're entitled to use your social media. You're also entitled to expect it not to be lifted and put onto a porn site. You are entitled to that. And then you're entitled to support from the social media platform if that is done to you. But the more you put out there, the more is likely to get used. You're right. Thanks, Bernie. 0818 96 96 96. Did you see this story over the weekend? There's 135 affordable homes have been built in Cork in recent years. In fact, were completed... In 2022, 135 homes. They're now empty, turnkey ready and empty. Uh, down to, it would appear, red tape. Sinn Féin TD Thomas Gould has been, has been raising this. What is the story, Tom? Good morning. Good morning, TJ. How you keep it? Very good. Very good. Nine months after they're finished, turnkey ready, nobody in them. Why? Because of bureaucracy and red tape and the Minister for Housing uh, just making things complicated. In now, what PJ, way? I've often come out here and criticised Cork City Council, right? Mm-hmm. Cork City Council were the first local authority out on affordable homes. They were the first people to actually complete affordable homes last year. Like, they, they've got a site in Boho by Road here in Mayfield, which are actually, which will be the first ones allocated and already since last, so last nine months. They have another development in the middle of Yanmire Road in Montanati. And they have another development in Tower. These are houses that are actually built. They're yes. actually built here. And please, just, just to give you an idea now, uh, like the, the size in Tower, we, a lady has contacted us who's 26 weeks pregnant, right? And she's waiting. She's in her mother's house at the moment, um, waiting to move into this. Like... She has spent the vast majority of the pregnancy living over the boxes in sure. the dam. So the houses, the houses are ready, Tom, and they're not occupied yet. Many months after they were completed, 
and you're blaming you're blaming red tape in the minister's department. Explain that to me. What what is the problem? Why can't they be? I mean, it's their council houses. So why do they why do they need the minister's go ahead to give someone the keys? Well, you see, they're actually affordable houses, and people have got mortgages from banks now, and there's issues around conveyancing. And at the time when this came up, Oliver Brin said to the minister that he had overcomplicated the legislation instead of streamlining it and make it easier. And that's something like, PZ, you know, you've dealt with officials over the years. Sometimes when you're dealing with people in the departments, they make, they make you jump through so many hoops. And what's going to happen now is some people, they're actually, their mortgage um, that they've gotten from the bank... Their approval actually, will run out. Yes. Well, it's, and the problem is some of these people now have spent money to buy stuff for their homes... And yeah, but but what, I'm just a bit. Confused. What is it that needs to happen? So the house is ready; it it's fully fitted out and everything. I'm the client, shall we say? I have my mortgage approved by by a lender. I'm good to go. The city council is good to go. The house is good to go. So what hoops have I to jump through? Well, at this stage, no, please, uh, please. I've written to the City Council looking for them for an explanation for these people why they can't get in there. And that's the thing. But you just said that Cork City Council aren't to blame. Well, you see, the thing about here, PJ, right, is the council won't hang the minister out to dry. Like, you must look, these are houses of officials, right? They are not going to come out and tell a Sinn Féin opposition TD that the minister was there to make the bags of this. But we know he has, right? Because we told him before it started. Like, I've written to the council... No, no, you still... No, Tommy, Tommy, the question I asked you was, what are the hoops? So I've got the house ready to go, the the, the money ready to go. They won't tell us. They won't tell us. Surely there's paperwork that somebody has that have been back and forth to the department. Well, PJ, if any of your listeners are wrong tomorrow, between 3 and 6 o'clock, the Minister for Housing is going to be on the Housing Committee and I'm going to be asking him, can he explain, please explain to the 135 families in Cork? Oh yeah, listen, I've no, I've no doubt, but you're saying to me that there are hoops to be jumped through, but we well, don't know what well, the hoops PJ, are. Yes, and they won't tell us. Like, we want to tell, like, we want to tell... How do you mean they won't? Hang on, how do you mean they won't tell you? I'm just a bit confused. It's, it's, can I tell you, PJ? Maybe owner, does owner bring, no? No, they won't tell us the reasons why these families in Cork can't move into the homes. It's, it's madness, PJ. These people have mortgages, they're ready to go. Like, I have one family who are actually... Uh, they're, they're actually homeless now. Yeah. Well, who won't tell you? I'm just confused. Who won't tell you? Is there someone in Cork or someone in Dublin? Yes, the city officials. They won't tell you. Yeah. And the reason, the reason I believe that I'm not getting the answers is because they will have to detail the, the problems with the minister and the government. And no official, like PJ, you're around a long time. Yeah. No official... Will want to be critical. But can, of you not, can you not raise a PQ directly with the minister yourself, Tommy? No, yes, I have. I have. I actually, would you believe, PJ? Oh, what, answer, what answer did you get? Uh, actually, PJ, I got no answer. It's unbelievable. I am here fighting trying to get people into homes and then being blocked at every time. Nice. Right. And PJ, can I this? This is not just Cork, this is happening right across the state. So the question is, why 
Like, if this is a talk issue, you could say, well, this is already a talk. But it's happening everywhere. So the question then is... But hold on, hold on. You see, you're blaming... You're, 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 no, look, you're, you're blaming Darrell O'Brien... Yeah, yeah, but you can't even find out what the hoops are, so you don't know who's setting it, you don't know who's blocking them. What can I say now, Pisa, right? Are you people who have mortgages from banks who have agreed to buy houses in Cork and they can't get into them? Like, I I don't know, I'm an old-fashioned kind of guy. Have they contacts, they have contracts signed? Pisa, that's the problem here is, they have, none of these houses have actually been finished, been purchased. These people have got their mortgages approved, but yeah. none of the house purchases have gone through. And the question then I've been asking, and I can't get answers to, is why haven't these houses been sold? Right. So you're going to raise you're going to raise that at the housing committee and, tomorrow. And, and please, like, like the people I'm speaking to, though, like they're distraught because they thought they were going to be in these houses months ago. Oh yeah, no, no. I'm just, I'm just trying to ascertain, Tom. And then, if you don't know, you don't know where the where the problem actually exists. Well, Peter, I hope, and between three and six o'clock in the Raptors TV tomorrow, I'll be grilling the minister on this because, like, do a family. We're in the middle of the worst housing crisis ever, and we have families here in Cork. They can't get into homes that they want to buy. These are people who want to buy the homes. Yeah. And then on the other side of that, Peter, up in Ochtahini, we have twenty-four houses on Kilmore Road. Some of them are nearly complete, and others are at foundation level, and four years they're building the houses. Oh, well, that's ridiculous, yeah. That, that, that's, there's, a, there's a contract row there, isn't there, Tom, between the between the council and the developer? Well, well PJ, there's people up in Lockheed living there, and people going up and down to Apple every day looking at these houses. Uh, like, I had families that would meet out this morning and do my clinic today, and they are saying, why can't these houses be given out? Why can't he be completed? The, the explanation coming from City Hall officially is a contract issue. Sure, if there's a contract issue. Yeah, but Peter, I raised this in the dial again last week. This is not just, there's a number of these sites in Cork, but there are also in Leash, Watford, Galway, right? You've, you've contractors there. If there's issues with contractors, the council, and Peter, this goes all back to something I raised years ago when we used to cover the City Council meetings, right? Mm. Cork City Council and County Council should be hiring their own staff and building houses directly ever. Like, like what happened in Grana Braha and Family and Torres Park. Yeah. We've all been Bal- saying that, in fairness, we've all been saying that, yeah. 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 And PG, you were there, like, I, I remember 10 or 15 years ago, you called in these meetings and I highlighted that we do. need to be building houses ourselves. I remember it well, and I have, to, I have to say, Tommy, that I would agree entirely with the idea of going back to the council building houses for the council but then again you'll get developers who say that would only make things worse and the other big question that we have Tom and I don't you're not going to be able to answer it because nobody else will we have no workers we don't have we don't have the workers well Peter can I say this now what we have we have the ability there's a huge problem at the moment with apprentices we we would call note for Coxley Council County Council uh, ESB, all these people to be training electricians, uh, masons, builders. Yeah. We still haven't done that. No. Like, I think Cox City Council should have teams of apprentices now 
Then how are we going to get the apprentices if we don't hire them ourselves and train them ourselves? Mm-hmm. And it it that seems that very few people, if you talk to the, the, the trades themselves, Tom, and I'll have to leave you in this now for no reason other than time, but I think the problem is that they can't get the people wanting to go into the trades. There's a shortage of people wanting to be plumbers and brickies and sparks and, and all of that. They don't want to go into the apprenticeships. That, that, that's an, another issue. Tom, thanks. I read that age very well on the television. Didn't look anything like that age. The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Parks 96 FM. Some of your stuff on driving habits in a minute. <laughs> a lot of things grind your gears. And then we were looking at this. Um, things that women say to men that we kind of go uh-uh we don't want to hear that yeah they, they fill us with dread do you know that one you all right there I'm fine no she nah no she nah what's wrong nothing oh you may be bloody sure there's something wrong you're not going to be told though yeah a few more of those in a minute but first of all back to um, that that story about the deep fake porn and the poor girl in, in Perth who's been battling it for the last 10 years, Noelle. It just started with an innocent photograph of her out in the nightclub that was on social media. That photograph got nicked off social media by people with nefarious intent. And from that day to this, she's trying to battle against everything from pornographic pictures to full-scale, full-on videos, deep-faked videos of her on social media and other sites and even though the law has been changed in Australia she she doesn't believe it'll benefit her at all because there's just too much of it out there it's gone on for too long now Kevin morning morning Peter yeah listen uh, stuff like this it, with the the advancements being made in AI this should this is going to become a bigger problem for people than they that they than they realize um, the more you hear about AI and what's coming down the line. Mm. When you did you see the video going around about Noel Gallagher or Liam Gallagher singing a song? I it haven't seen that one. I've heard about it though. Yeah, but it wasn't Liam Gallagher. It was a computer copying his voice, and it was almost it was almost identical. Yeah. And if that can be done with him, imagine what can be done with your ID or your photo or your kids' photos yeah. online. And that and that's coming. The advancements that are being made now are enormous. Well, if you look at what happened to Nicole, or Noelle rather, you know, one photograph from a nightclub and it was the one that started all of this and it's being manipulated and used and digitised onto everything. Unfortunately, digital or social media companies are law unto themselves. There's no one entity that has legislated, put together legislation that holds them accountable for anything. They're treated differently from broadcasters. They're treated differently from print media, even though they're publishing everything and anything. Mm. But they have free reign to do whatever the hell they like. And there's almost zero accountability anywhere. Mm. You go If you're on Twitter now, you see an account that you think, look, this is wrong. And you go to try to report that account. 
you go, you look at the hoops you have to go through now to, ju- to just to report an account, mm-hmm. that, and nothing happens. Nothing ever happens now. They've reduced, it, like Twitter is the one thing, especially, they've reduced the workforce down to something like 2,500 globally. And he seems more interested in getting his $8 a month off people than he is about safeguarding the platform for everyone else. And that's going across the board. And until you get, like, the EU block, it, this can't be done by individual countries. Individual countries starting to legislate this is a waste of time. Mm. Australia's population of 14 million people, so what? You know, the, the, the Australian government issue fines to social media company, big deal. They're paltry. But mm. an EU block turns around to a social media giant and say, if you want to, if you want people, the half a billion people who live on this continent, to you be able to use your app, you have to put adequate safeguards in place that if someone tries to lift my photo off my social media, mm. that I have to give permission in the same way as you go and buy something online and you get a notification through your AIB to confirm this transaction and you have to physically do it. There is, it's not beyond the reason, the, the, it's not beyond technology to say, right, I want to see see that image that PJ put up there. I love that image. I'm going to take that image. Yeah. That I click on that and I press copy. As soon as I press copy, you should get a notification to say someone is trying, so one of your followers is trying to lift a photo. Do you give permission, yes or no? Well, if you look at it, Kevin, WhatsApp tried a couple of years ago yeah. to cut down on these pictures being forward tens of thousands of times a minute. Yeah. They tried to cut it down now. You can, If something has been forward more than a few times, you can only send it to one or two of your own followers or your own friends. There's a workaround on that that's so simple a child could have thought of. Yeah, and this is the problem. It, it's almost a case of, look, we'll plumb people along to say that we've got effective legislation in place with that protection. But in truth, in practice, in reality, we don't. And with, like I said go, at the start, going back to what's coming down the line with AI, mm. that is actually really making me nervous now about my online footprint that I'm going to have to reduce it back massively because and you, it's not just the simple things like photos. You look at, I was talking to my son yesterday afternoon and said, look, at some point I said to him today, can you, can you do the grass at some point today? He's like, nah, that's not going to happen now. But an hour later, I went on Facebook and there was advertising for strimmers and lawnmowers oh, and everything else. And they've been listening to us for years, Kevin. Yeah, but all of this stuff in conjunction with the new AI technology that's coming, that's what's making me more nervous. And we chase technology with legislation years behind. We're years behind this. They don't have either the mental agility to get to grips with what's coming or they don't care. One of the two. But they're almost like, look, we need these tech companies in the country, so we'll just let them get away with whatever they want. And it's scary at the minute. You take, I'll be 10 years doing this job next February, right? There's enough recording of me now in the archives of 96FM and on my archives at home and online. I could be replaced here tomorrow morning with something no bigger than a mobile phone. That has all well, of that audio in it. That's it. I've been doing podcasts for the last two years, and there's two years' worth of my videos and my voice on talking about everything and anything online that can be picked up, and my voice print can be used to put onto anything okay. and to be put on a voicemail, a, a, a voice recording to contact someone else mm-hmm. who is in my contacts, who they already have access to, to say, I need X, Y, and Z money. Could you wire me this? And I can sound as convincing as you like. Well, if you look at it, right, and poor old Charlie Bird got his illness is yeah. progressing badly, but Charlie can still go and make a speech. He writes it on an yeah. iPad and then 
this magic piece of AI delivers it for him flawlessly based on all yeah. his recordings. I mean, it is brilliant technology it, used the right way. Exactly. It's fantastic software we could really harness. I mean, they're talking about the advancements that could be made in medicine. If you have a digital doctor that can be used in other parts of the world where you physically can't get a doctor to that person, but you have an AI version of it that can analyse symptoms and everything else and give you a rough diagnosis mm. there and then, it's, it's the technology, the, the, the benefits of this are huge. Mm. But the legislation has to follow this and the legislation has to safeguard people's, people's data in ways that they, they have to forward think what could happen and put the legislation in place now. And one surefire way of doing it would be to treat social media companies as broadcasters and publishers and tr- go down that road because they're getting away with a load at the minute where, yeah, we're not publishers. We're just facilitating the site. You know, we just put the site up. It's up to the individual what they post. Mm. No, sorry. You're putting the platform there. And if someone wants to take Nicole's picture and put it on a website, it's the website that should be held accountable, not Nicole to go and chase it to find it out. Kevin, cheers. Thank you very much. We did the story. I mentioned it there as it was introducing Noel. We did that story here on 96FM it must be nearly 10 years ago now it is probably more than 10 years ago actually and it was a gym a leisure club and some of the staff had photos lifted from the club's Facebook page and those headshots ended up in some very nefarious places and that's more than 10 years ago and that's when this technology was in its in its infancy but now look at it. 0818969696 on driving. What bugs me, PJ, is when someone pulls out in front of you as you're driving and decides to drive slowly. <laughs> Lord, give me patience. Yeah, yeah. You, or worse than you've let them in, which we can all do that. We can all, you know, be courteous. You can let, let them in. And then they drive at a speed that is half the speed of the moving traffic. Yeah, then you feel like a right mug for having let them in. I hate Sunday drivers, says Anna. I got caught coming back from West Cork yesterday behind three Sunday drivers going 40 kilometres an hour on 80 kilometre an hour roads. They nearly caused accidents, people overtaking on country roads. Yeah, well, the thing is, Anna, 80 kilometres is not a target. Someone was out on a country road. I mean, I would never, I wouldn't be described as a Sunday driver. I drive every day. I drive all the time. But if I'm out in a, on a country drive on a Sunday in Kerry or West Cork, wherever I might happen to go, I'm driving slowly because I don't know the roads. I don't know the roads. Phil sent us a voice message on driving and traffic and other such things that grind her gears. Hi PJ, I have happened to have a few points on my driver's licence for being over the speed limit, marginally. So I'm now very conscious of the speed limit and I stick to it. Unfortunately, not everybody understands that we need to stick to the speed limit and usually get very annoyed with me when I'm driving along at 50 kilometres per hour in a 50k zone or 80 in an 80 or wherever I find it so frustrating that they're behind me so close that if I break I'm sure they'd crash into me they're clearly annoyed some have even flashed their lights so I think it's 
we just need more understanding, basically, that people are going to stick to the speed limits because they don't want to be put off the road for having too many points. Yep, yep. And that can happen too very quickly, Phil. It can happen. Thank you for that. 0818-96-96-96. Oh, yeah, not being able to... This is travel, driving in general. Not being able to turn right over the Opera House Bridge is a nightmare. I was travelling back to Blarney, had to go down to Shandon Street. Why did they change it? It's a disaster. Throwing all the traffic onto the keys says Emma. Ever since that started Emma, it's been a problem. Taxi drivers hate it. It, There was no sense to it in the first place according to the taxi drivers. It it means that they can't take the fastest route, say, down to the train station for somebody. But when put to the council, the council said it's it's staying there. It's not going anywhere. That's that's how it is now. 0818 96 96 96. Have you seen these things that that, um, I read this list last week in in one of the papers phrases that men hate hearing from the women in their lives there's a big long list of them um we'd like to hear the opposite ones as in what are the what are the things that women hate hearing from men so your own ideas please to 083 396 96 96 but (laughs) <laughs> the ones that women hate he- the ones that men hate hearing from women what's your pin number <laughs> we need to talk are you busy oh yeah oh yeah uh, hear that from a woman in your life are you busy the subtext there is I don't care what you're doing I need your attention now um, there's no pub open until this hour to be fair if you said you were going out for two pints at half past nine and you arrive home at 4am, that is a legitimate question. It's fine. I said it's fine. It isn't. It isn't. And it won't be for a long time. I'll be ready in a minute. Oh, I'll be ready in a minute. Yeah, pour yourself a drink. She ain't going nowhere for half an hour. Yeah. Do I look fat in this? Don't answer that question. Don't answer that question. And the other one you don't answer is which do you like? The red one or the blue? Which will I wear? The red one or the blue one? <laughs> you say the red one? What's wrong with the blue one? You say the blue one? I like the red one. So you can't win those. Um, I know I said I wasn't hungry but can I just have a bit of yours? Oh that's that's the last you'll see of your popcorn or your crisps or anything you happen to have. Yeah. I'm going shopping. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I'm nearly ready. I just need a shower. Oh, pitiful Nora. She's going nowhere for at least an hour. And the best one. Where were you? I was out, like. Where, like? Where were you? Yeah. They're the ones that um, men hear. <laughs> a couple of them going, I let you do it because you're better at it, says Sarah. Oh, yeah. No, no. I let you do it. Oh, no. You're not. For definite one that women hate hearing is, I was chatting with the lads. Implying you've made plans to go out with them. And it never ends well. Yeah. 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 Don't ever start a conversation. I was just having a chat there with the lads. When are you going out? Yeah. Never ends well. 0818 96 96 96. PJ, why can't social media require proof of ID and age over 18 so people can sign up, even charge a fee? would stop a lot of troll accounts too. It would, it would, and people have long campaigned for it. 
But what you get told then is that it's a clampdown on free speech. If you have to, I have no problem giving anybody my name, my proper picture, anything to use a social media platform. But then I go on social media as myself, not as anybody else. Whatever sport you support, grab that jersey and stick it on for Radiothon. The Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon returns this May. And Friday 26th is Jersey Day. You make me feel Get together with family, friends, colleagues or classmates And wear your favourite jersey to raise funds for Cork Cancer Services See 96fm.ie for more 96fm.ie for more The Giving for Living Radiothon Supporting Cork Cancer Services May 25th to 27th You make, you make me feel Only on Cork's 96FM The other one that women hate or men hate hearing from women Is I'm just going to pop in there to pennies for five minutes <laughs> yeah, right, Mrs. 0818969696. Kate says Monkstown and Passage now have 30 kilometre limits and it's safer. A lot of other places are looking for it too. Look at the traffic calming measures coming into Douglas. It'll be the way more and more in the future. Now, Jason has contacted us. Um, Jason, we've agreed with you that you're not going to name uh, the bar at this point in time we may be able to do it at a later date but not now we're not going to name uh, or identify the bar but but you feel that you're being discriminated in in your local um, because because you're a traveller good morning yes I do PJ yes um, on Easter Sunday I went, uh, Sunday night I went up to the bar with um, four female friends so we were in one pub, uh, had one pint, and then went up to that pub that I was refused from. We all walked into the pub, and he kept his head down and kept on not saying no, 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 no. He was serving the others, four females, but not serving me. So it was the person behind the bar, there wasn't someone on the door, no? No, it was behind the bar. Okay. And I goes, to, uh, no, he didn't give me any explanation or all at all, so I just walked out. So I went away for a week, it's the next day, so I said, I'll go up yesterday, not yesterday, the day before, PJ. Yeah. And I went up to him, and I caught, there was a funeral going on, and I asked him to be great to from outside the door. Mm. And he came out, and he spoke to me, and I goes to him, what was your reason of not telling me or giving me an explanation or anything like that? I said, I need to I've done nothing. I said, I just came into the bar. He said, there are two off-duty guards who are in this pub and told me not to serve you. I said, that's against the law. I said, uh, Gary shouldn't be, be uh, off, when they're off duty to go up and tell you not to serve me. Yeah. So um, he goes, look, give me your uh, direct uh, number and I'll give it to the guards and the guards will ring you and tell, he'll tell you that was him that told me. So I gave him my number and as I was down my name, it's Ultraskill. Yes. And when I put that down, he goes, oh, Jason, Ultraskill, you're known by every guard in uh, maybe guard station. I goes, excuse me? Mm-hmm. I go, that, that has nothing got to do with uh, you at all, he said. The school says, that was, that's nothing got to do with all, he goes, I know what you're doing. He goes, you're putting it off uh, with Gardee in the pub, which you're actually putting it down to me being a traveller who's discriminating me. Did he, he mention like, that to you, Jason? He did, did yeah. He did, when I, when I wrote down my second name, he goes, ah, the travelling community, he goes, I know, he goes, uh, he goes, no, we know, he goes, the whole Navy guard station knows, yeah. And did you, know? did you say to him that he should know that by law, he can't just bar you from the pub because I, you're I, a traveller. 
I did. I explained everything to him, and he just gave me no explanation, nothing. Uh, I rang the Gardaí. I rang to give the complaint. The Gardaí said the civil, civil complaint. I explained my situation, what he was doing to me. And like, have you ever had any dealings with the pub before, no? Never in my life did I see the inside of that pub. Never in my life. Right. Never, ever. There was no need for it. I was ashamed of my entire life. The whole pub was packed. I was ashamed of my entire life. I had to walk like I just walked away. He didn't even lift up his head. He just kept on pulling the points to someone else and kept on putting his head, his head was down and he was adding his head no. Uh, you know, and he was serving the other four. I have four witnesses yeah. what he said. And he served and the next, them, didn't he? Uh, no, he didn't so they left with me because it was rotten fair. Like, just sure, sure, that, sure. You know, they left with me, like, and the next day, um, one of the ladies that was there, their mother went up and spoke to the owner of the pub and the owner of the pub said to the woman, um, he took it all, he'd done it all the wrong way, he shouldn't have done what he'd done and he, was, he couldn't be more apologetic. Hmm. You know, so like, What's that all about? Like, you know, there was no need for it. I was ashamed of my life, Peter. Ashamed of my life. Do you know what I mean? Like, just because I'm a traveller, it doesn't mean that we're all human, we're all the same. Yeah. You know? So we're all the same. There's no need to say he shouldn't have done what he done. He should have gave me an explanation. He should have said basically gave me an explanation anyway. Do you know, I know they're entitled to give an explanation, like, but he didn't do anything like that. Like, do you know? And Jason, as a young member of the travelling community who likes to go yeah. for a, a pint... Yeah. Do you get much pushback? Do do you get I refused do. still? Um, to be honest, I do, PJ. Yeah, to be honest, I do. Yeah, always. To be honest, and there's no like as soon as they got my passport, see my name, sponsors, and that's it. Then they close the passport. No, that's me. Yeah, you know, there's no. It's, it's it's very embarrassing. Very very embarrassing. Like. All right. Well, you know, thanks for getting in touch. Maybe someone has advice for you um, that that you can. Do something like, formal here. You'd like to make a formal complaint, would you? I want to make a big formal complaint. Of course I do, yeah. Yeah, but I don't know how to go about it, PJ. Okay. Well, maybe somebody will know, and, and they can let us know. How about that? Yeah, let you know then. Have a good day, Jason. All right, thanks, PJ. Cheers, fella. Uh, there's probably two... If I, I, I imagine if I was to talk to someone from the bar, um, there's probably another side to that story. There's two sides to every story. Um, but Jason came to us and he believes that he is being refused service in a local pub because he is a traveller. And that's not legal. You can't do that. Right. Uh, oh, yes. Here's a very special Premier League Live on 96fm.ie. Details just finalised this morning. Uh, powered by Talk Sport, a very special Premier League Live this Wednesday evening at 96fm.ie and on the app. Live coverage of Manchester City versus Arsenal at 8 o'clock. They're calling this the Premier League Decider. So make sure you join us for live commentary and live analysis and all the build-up and all the excitement with Trevor and the team powered by TalkSport. It's a special Premier League Live online with Harvey Norman, your home of the big screen. You're listening Wednesday, Wednesday at 8 the Cork's 96FM app or go to 96FM.ie That's a very special midweek edition of Premier League Live The match they're calling the decider Manchester City versus Arsenal 8 o'clock on the app or online on Wednesday evening Premier League Live on Cork's 96FM
That's a big one. Nice one. Nice one. Okay. We're going down under again for the second time today. There's a woman from East Cork. Killer, in fact. Uh, Catherine Mulcahy. And Catherine is going to be part of the Sydney Rose competition uh, over the next couple of weeks. In fact, it's starting off a very, very big week of it just now. Catherine, good morning to you. Hi, how are you, PJ? Thank you for taking my call this morning. You moved out this time last year? This time last year, yeah. So just over a year now in Australia. So it's it's great. It's all been great so far. What was the attraction to going down under? I just wanted to travel, really. Um, I suppose I've always wanted to come out to Sydney. So um, I suppose as soon as the borders opened, I was kind of booking my flights and getting the visa sorted. Um, so yeah, just traveling and new cultures, really. Yeah. You've got a, a nice job out there. An education officer for the College of Physicians. That's a bit different from your, your training, as it were, over here. It is, it is. So I did study in Shannon College of Hotel Management at home um, and worked in a good lot of really nice five-star hotels around Ireland and um, Europe and America. Um, so I just decided to take a change when I came out here, try something new. Mm. So I'm currently an education officer with the Royal Australian College of Physicians. Um, so something different. And yeah, it's it's a great great college to be part of and cool. um, supporting the trainees through their training to, to get on to finish and become physicians. Some pivot, as they say now, between hotel management and doing what you do. Really exciting, I guess. So the the Rose competition, how did that come about? It's it's a big event out there, isn't it? It is. It's massive. Yeah, I suppose it's very important to all the Irish girls out here. Um, you know, we're so far away from home, just trying to keep in touch with with our Irish communities and that. Um, so yeah, no, I've always watched it. I suppose as a young young girl, so I just kind of decided this year that you know I might as well give it a go. Right. Meet a few girls, like like minded girls, and just have a bit of crack. Really, they say you make friends for life when you get involved in the rows. Is that happening? It is, absolutely, yeah. We've had loads of meetups so far and we're all in great contact since we started, really. So we've got loads of things coming up, dinners and different events. Um, so, yeah, I know it's, it's great and I'm sure we'll definitely be in contact well after the event as well. The selection process starts this coming Friday. This coming Friday, yes. Yeah. So we have our night at the Dome this Friday in Sydney. Um, so we'll have our onstage interviews and performances this Friday. Um, we'll also have an interview day on the 7th of May, um, group interviews and individual interviews. And then on the 13th of May, we'll have the final night. So we'll have a big ball that night and a bit of music, a bit of dancing and the final announcement of who will be selected. So it's all very exciting. So the final selection won't be made for a couple of weeks, although you have your dome night on Friday. On Friday, yeah. So a couple of weeks we'll have to wait, but we've got a good few events on in between, in between each. So um, yeah, there's, there's plenty happening. Would you like to come back and stand there on stage with Dahi? I would. It'd be fantastic, sure. It'd be great. Um, dying, to, dying to get back. But, you know, no matter who, whoever gets selected from here anyways, they're, they're all great girls. So um, we'll see what happens. I'm just taking it day by day and, yeah, we'll, we'll go from there. I remember watching it years ago with my family. Um, so, it's yeah, it's been quite special. And actually, this year, again, is even a little bit more special. I didn't realise um, until a few days ago, actually, that my, my sister is taking part in the court selection program, program really? process. So, um, we'll have the two of us will be involved. So, it's, it's great that we can compare notes and, um, I suppose, go through this part of the experience. What's your, what's your sister's name? My sister's Elizabeth. How cool would it be? Yeah. <laughs> Just how absolutely cool would it be? 
I know. And what are the chances that the two of us decided this year we go for it? And neither of us knew. So it was. It's. It's quite funny, actually. Fantastic. So on your dome appearance this Friday coming, what's the party piece, Catherine? The party piece. I am hoping to play the button accordion. Oh. Yeah. So I was into a bit of trad music when I was younger. I haven't played in a while now, but hoping to do it. I'm trying to get my hands on an accordion out here. It's it's proving a bit difficult. But I still have a few days, so I'm still still holding out hope. Well, you haven't got one yet. Not yet. It's so hard to get one out here, but um, I'm I'm in contact with a few now, so I'm hoping to have it sorted in the next few days um, and hopefully get on stage and pay, play a few tunes. Well, this interview will go out also as a podcast. So oh, you'd, brilliant. you'd never know by the end of the day, someone could call us and say, come here, we can get an accordion to her if she's stuck. Very good. Well, if you can get that sorted, I'd appreciate it. <laughs> Catherine, good luck on Friday and great talking to you. Thank you so much, DJ. Cheers. That's Catherine Mulcahy, the Sydney Rosa Tralee Company. They do it weird. They're their dome night first, then they have their interviews, and then they have their selection ball at the end of it all. That's strange, isn't it? Because they, they do it here, they have the interviews, the group and the day interviews, and then they have their their night for the to, to select the, the roles for Cork. Was I reading recently? Someone told me recently the Cork Road selection is now the most heavily subscribed rose selection in the world. 0818969696. Good luck to Catherine and good luck to her sister as well. Wouldn't that, it would be though. Wouldn't it be so, so cool? 0818969696. Here's a sound. Oh, listen, before I do this, did you hear our Demi or did you see Demi on Ask Me Anything on Saturday night? She was just being Demi. She was just so funny, and she is like Demi, so naturally funny. Anyway, she just had a ball on Ask Me Anything. There's a few clips we're going around. I get one before the the end of the show. Here's a sound that we haven't heard in Ireland for a very long time: the sound of a woodpecker. Now, I didn't know we ever had them in Ireland, but there's quite a number of them have arrived uh, with the spring. Niall Hatch from Boardwatch Ireland. Were they were they here and did they die out or were they ever here, Niall? Morning. Uh, good, good morning. Uh, so, yeah, the, the great spotted woodpecker, that species we heard there tapping there on a tree. Uh, nobody's quite certain to categorically say that the species was present in Ireland in the past. It may have been when we had a lot more forest cover in Ireland and it may have disappeared. Um, but what we can say for sure is that it is here now. Um, it's a very common species across Britain and across most of the continent. Um, uh, and so um, it, a lot of people in Britain would have it in their gardens quite commonly. Um, but it was absent from Ireland uh, until around 2005 when uh, it's thought that the population in Britain got so large that uh, some of the young birds there not being able to find their own territory their own habitats had to um, fly across the Irish Sea. Woodpeckers are very reluctant usually to cross water. In this oh. case, they had no other choice. And uh, it's probably no coincidence, therefore, that the two places where this happened was there's birds that seem to have flown across from, from Wales into County Wicklow, which is where I'm based. Uh, and then also separately, there were birds from Scotland. These woodpeckers from Scotland arrived in County Down. And since then, they've slowly but surely been breeding and increasing in numbers. Uh, and uh, they're spreading. So where, where I live in, in, in County Wicklow, I'm getting more and more used to hearing that sound in the woodlands when I go for a walk here. Uh, but it's taken quite a while for them to reach as far as, as Cork. So they've been spreading slowly but surely since about 2005 across the country. They don't like to migrate, no? No, they 
they're actually not migrants. No, they're, they're, these birds that they actually stay that they actually stay in, in, in one place mostly. Um, so, uh, uh, so what, what it is is it, it's really the, 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 the population have reached more or less saturation point in Britain, we think, and therefore came across the Irish Sea. And when, when they're here, they, they stay here. They, they uh, so you know, there's still lots of habitat for them. So that's that's one of the reasons why people maybe not haven't seen them yet. They have the sort of the pick of the habitats. That noise that they're making there, it's their equivalent of a song. And they do that to proclaim a territory oh. and to attract in a mate. And and um, so rather than singing with their voices like most birds do, they sing in a sense by rapping, tapping very hard on a, on a tree trunk to make this, this, this sound. But because there aren't so many woodpeckers around yet, they, they, they find a territory pretty quickly. They don't have much competition, so you don't hear that sound as much as you would, let's say, in a British woodland. But as the numbers here increase and competition increases there for four prime nesting habitats, you'll start to hear the sound more and more, we predict. Where do they like? Woodlands? They like woodlands, yes, very much so. So that you find them around uh, around areas where you've got quite a lot, quite a lot of trees. They like to be around oak trees, especially those kind of broadleaf trees. There's good feeding for them there. But they particularly like to nest in pine trees. So you find uh, conifers like that. So a good mixed sort of woodland is where you'd find them. But we're also seeing um, each winter Bird of Ireland does uh, has, a, has a survey called the Irish Garden Bird Survey. We have thousands of people all across the country do that for us. And over the last few years, we've started to see the great spotted woodpecker turning up in increasing numbers. So very small numbers but increasing numbers on peanut feeders in people's gardens so they are coming to bird tables now during the winter months too yeah Yeah. and that sound that is literally the head or the beak drumming off wood is it it is. It's absolutely wow. amazing that they can do that. They are actually, they are actually, essentially, they're slamming their beak or their face into the tree at a speed of about 700 miles an hour, um, repeatedly back and forth. So it just shows, you know, we, we humans obviously would not survive something like that. It just shows you how well adapted they are to what they do. They have these special ligaments in their neck that act almost like uh, shock absorbers. They have fluid around their brain to absorb the shock as well. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's quite remarkable like, that, like that they can they, do this. They can tap that wood faster than Michael, Michael Flatley can dance. Oh, that's, a, that's a good way to put it, absolutely. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, somebody, remarkable. Yeah, just uh, while you're there, Niall, we've we've a very bird-loving listenership uh, in 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 the city and county. So, uh, th- just this message here: I love the sound of birds at this time of year, but my car is covered in bird poop. <laughs> Any way to stop that happening? Uh, no, Dave. Unfortunately, probably not. No. The one that has bothered me for the last couple of um, spring times, Niall, and I'm, I'm watching every morning to see how they're there again. Um, starlings. Yeah. Uh, they get in under the under the eaves, uh, the little divils nest in the eaves. Yes. And you have a parade of them in and out, night, noon and morning, and then they're doing, again, river dance on, on, on my attic beams. Can I stop that? Well, obviously, once the birds have actually started nesting, um, you have to leave them at it. It's actually against the law to uh, to remove a nest or, or to, to damage or destroy or disturb a nest that has eggs or chicks in it. But prior to the nesting season, what I'd recommend is blocking off those areas with with, with a bit of mesh or something like that, if if, if need be. Um, however, what I, what I would say is that um, the reason the birds are doing that is because there's so few natural nest sites for them. We, we really have pushed these birds to, to the brink quite a bit. Starlings like to nest inside cavities, and actually, the woodpecker that we just spoke about may play a role there because they drill these holes in trees. They, they not only drum on the trees to sound be heard, but they excavate nest holes in them. And um, they usually do a new one each year, and they excavate more than they need. And those nesting holes will also subsequently then be used by starlings. So maybe the, as the woodpeckers increase, the starlings may have less need to, to go into into your yeah. attic or into your leaves. So, How much of it is down to the fact as well that I've got attic insulation foam, and they're building a nice warm nest for themselves out of that? 
Oh, yeah, as far as, as far as the starting is concerned, that would be wonderful. I just think, you know, how, how warm and cosy that would be. They're thinking this is a perfect place to raise chicks mm. and they're trying to survive just as we are. And they, they uh, go lots- into the space between the slate and the actual membrane there. They find a little yeah. pouch. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, they're very, very resourceful. Yes, yes, they, 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 uh, they, they do very good at finding these cavities. Uh, sometimes they'll nest in, you know, the kind of holes in, in dry stone walls. Sometimes holes in trees, and um, those kind of things as well. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're very resourceful. You can, um, if, if you're interested, you could put up a nest box or two. The special designs you have nest boxes that you can use for starlings, which at least then would keep them away from being inside the attic. Um, so it might be worth, might, might be worth a try. We have plans if you wanted to, to, to build those nest boxes at our website, birdoturn.ie. You can find the, the details there. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's so, you know. It's, it's it's certainly certainly something that people do complain to us about, but um, yeah, it's, it's it's you know nature tries to find a way. So yeah. many of our wild birds have been are in such difficult circumstances at the moment that they need all the help they can get. Yeah, yeah. there the, the don't seem to be as many of them around this time as there yeah. were for the last two years. But certainly last year was a nightmare because of course the youngs are out learning to fly then, yeah. and and they're learning to control their bowels, and they're not Indeed. really good at it. <laughs> That's true, that's true. And they, don't, and they don't have to absorb the same social niceties that we humans do, so absolutely, yeah. I if I had to clean my garden furniture once last spring, I'll... Oh, I know, I do, I do. I, I, I have a similar problem, so I do, uh, I do relate. But, uh, but what I would say about starlings as well, you know, they do get quite a lot of bad press, and, and we do get really, to be honest, a lot of people complain to us and bird us around about them. They're lovely little they, birds, actually. They are lovely, but absolutely gorgeous. They, they, they're amazing to listen to. They, they have these amazing songs that can mimic the other sounds they put in their song. But also, in the winter months, they're responsible for, for, for you know, for what for my money is probably the most beautiful sight in all of nature. They gather together in these enormous flocks and perform what I call these murmurations. Is, that, like is the that the starlings? That's the starlings, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's absolutely breathtaking when you see it. Um, so, um, so yeah, so I, I definitely have a soft spot for the starlings because when you see something like that, it's it's quite literally jaw-dropping. I've seen people mm. just stopped in their tracks when they see this. It's oh, there's, a, there's not a summer goes by we don't get a, a video in here of, yes. of, of a load of them. And they don't stay very long under the eaves either, isn't it? Once the young are ready to fly... Oh, oh, absolutely, yes. So sometimes people think that uh, the birds like starlings will want to live inside the attic. You know, they, they don't. Birds, when they're nesting, birds don't live in their nest. They just use them to lay their eggs and, and to raise their chicks just for a few weeks. And when the chicks hatch out, then they have no interest in being in there anymore. They want to be out in the out, out in the trees, out in the ground, and feeding on the ground and sleeping in the trees or reed beds. So they just use that just for a few weeks in the summer for nesting purposes only. My missus made an observation yesterday when I told her to come and talking to you. She said, you ever ask him about during COVID, during lockdown, those two lockdown spring times mm. was there much more bird life around now that we're back to some sort of normal have they gone away again well i think what it is it, it's very hard to tell but no i, I think what, i think what it was was that um, you know when, when the first lockdown happened it coincided with the start of the, the breeding season the start of the dawn chorus with exactly that time of year back in in, um, in, in 2020 and uh, what uh, what uh, what happened then was that uh, i think people um People started to to notice them a bit more than they otherwise would have. You know, people started to 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 to, to, to be at home more. There was less traffic. And people heard the birds singing more. But you know, the, the onset of COVID it didn't somehow miraculously make up you know a lot of more birds like spontaneously generate. They were there all along. It's just people became more aware of them. Now, in subsequent years, as human activity had decreased, we did get reports of birds nesting in places where they hadn't before. Mm. Uh, I think it would stand to reason, although there's no scientific work on this, it would stand to reason that the the birds that 
um, you know, because there was less traffic around during, especially during that first nesting season, fewer of the young birds that were leaving the nest would have been killed by cars. Then maybe that played a role. Uh, but certainly, I think it was a more it was more perception of the activity of birds rather than a big increase in their numbers. You know, people were, were staying at home a lot more. They were maybe not not, not in the office or not commuting at the time when the birds were singing. There's less traffic noise. Oh, there, there more to yeah. see them. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think yeah, I think for, sure. for a lot of people, that became a real lifeline. People, you know, real source of comfort and solace oh, and lovely. entertainment in very dark days. Yeah. It was lovely, lovely, except when they started robbing the cat food. But that's for another day's discussion. Thank you, Niall. Niall Hatch of Boardwatch Ireland. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With the McDonald's app, you can get your favorite thing delivered to your door. So if you were looking for a reason to skip washing those dishes you left in the sink, consider this a sign. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Right now, get $0 delivery fee with any purchase of $15 or more, only in the app. At participating McDonald's, minimum purchase excludes tax and service fees. Delivery prices may be higher than in restaurants. Other fees may apply. Not valid with any other offer, discount, or coupon.